Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Love, episode 14. Hello, uh, I'm recording this on the 9th of April, Thursday evening. Uh, what you're about to listen to is a chat I had with my good pal Mark Allen, who you may recall set up the Netflix party to watch Phantom Fred the other week. Um, so he's come in. Uh, to tell us a little bit about his lockdown situation, um, volunteering he's doing in his local community in Leeds, and he's offering his uh, thoughts and opinions on Phantom Fred in response to mine, which are a lot more positive. Uh, and then we go into quite some detail on the on the oeuvre of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. So, um, yeah, I want to thank Mark for talking so eloquently and in full, long and engaging sentences uh, on a subject he was largely unprompted to research or do anything about, which I'm very impressed with is the detail and quality of his answers. Uh, before we start, I just want to offer my sincere congratulations to my other good friend Phil and his wife Charlotte uh, on the birth of their new baby girl. Uh, just massive, massive congratulations to the both. What a lovely thing to happen amidst a scary time. Okay, and without any further ado, here's Mark. Hey, Mark. Hi, Jack. Hey, thank you for chatting with me today. Um, uh, why don't you tell us about your personal lockdown situation? Okay, um, so I live in Leeds, um, in Headingley, in the kind of student-y area of the city, um, with two other people currently in a shared house. Um, there were four of us, but one of my housemates was going to leave in the summer and decided, she's from Ireland, so she decided she would get on the last boat to Ireland and go live with her parents while the getting was good. Mm. Um, so that kind of worked out for me because she had a much nicer bedroom than I did. And now I'm living in that one. And it has a giant desk and two big windows, which I didn't have before. So working from home is slightly easier. So to say, um, I have two main jobs one is uh, administration at Leeds University and the other one I do some part-time work as a dialogue markup artist for uh, a game studio in York um, so the plus side of being locked in your house all the time is that I actually don't have to travel to York every time I work for them and I can log in remotely um, I, I would definitely say, you know, the plus sides don't outweigh the negatives, but I'm looking at the silver linings. Sure. Nice new big room. Nice big desk. Uh, yeah. Now to go to York. It's, you're, a, you're a profiteer from the, the pandemic. <laughs> you, yeah, you, uh, definitely. Uh, I mean, well, I should say I've got one other very casual job, which is working for the Leeds Film Festival, uh, which is on in November. But they have um, the odd screening on, well, they're kind of ramping them up every month. They have like Lith Presents, uh, where they have two or three films showing. Uh, so I usually help out with those. So I'm not going to be getting any money from them. But it was really just kind of pocket money. <laughs> but still, made a difference because uh, I, as you, you, as your listeners might imagine by the sounds of it, I don't have a full time job. <laughs> so I kind of whatever I can get is 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 always useful. And so how has it been locked in the house with your two housemates and things? Have you, I don't know, have you adjusted your living schedules and rotors and things or? Um, 
Not especially. So, so the two people who uh, are living with me now are both students. Uh, one's a PhD student, one's a mature um, cardiology student. Um, so they were kind of at home a lot anyway, and um, neither of them currently have jobs, so hasn't changed the, uh, a huge amount for them. Although we, we've all been in here, like I'm relatively active. Um, I like to go out and see movies and go to gigs and see friends and stuff. So like several nights a week, I'll usually be out. So I've been in a hell of a lot more and I don't want to blow my own uh, domestic horn here, but uh, I <laughs> tend to do, uh, I would say the lion's share of uh, domestic work. Uh, so that kind of came to the forefront of things and I had to had to raise some issues, which was not very pleasant for a day or so. But then we came to an agreement. Essentially, I made a rota for things so that I wasn't the only one doing them. You were, did you say you, you'd signed up for some sort of volunteering in the community like around this? Yes, uh, I, yeah, I have actually. I signed up both with the um, NHS volunteering service with the Good Sam app which is good. I've not been called up to do anything on that yet. And I, I think they, they, they took a while to roll it out, so it might be a little while. But I also signed up via Leeds City Council um, and uh, Labour, the local Labour Party, were, were, were setting people up on that as well. Um, they've been really good, actually. Uh, shameless political plug. Alex Sobel has been a great MP and, and talks to people every day. Let's start Richard Bergen then, because he's Leeds, isn't he? Richard Bergen is from Leeds, but it's not his... Con oh, uh, I don't believe he's got a constituency here. Uh, so Leeds Northwest is where I, is my constituency, and that's Alex Sobel. Um, and Leeds Central is Hilary Benn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's got one of the constituencies anyway. Yeah. Uh, but no, I actually saw Richard Bergen when um, I went to my first Labour Party meeting, and him, Angela Rayner, and Dawn Butler all came to do like a kind of Deputy Leader Hustings. Oh, cool. Um, yes, Angela Rayner is now, now Deputy Leader, interestingly enough. They couldn't hey. rein her in. Oh. <laughs> right, right. Well, we should move on from that. So when, uh, I'm talking about politics now. Uh, uh, so I got called up the other day and um, it was run through Hyde Park Source, this organisation um, that does community stuff. And they're running it for this area and uh, basically signed up to deliver food parcels to some neighbours uh, who live a few streets away. And I'll be starting to do that tomorrow. I'll be doing that for the first time tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, it's a couple. Um, English isn't their first language, so I don't know that much about them. I, didn't, I gave them a call uh, yesterday or the day before to just check just just to let them know who I am and what we'd be doing and what would be best for them. Um, but I couldn't really go into the details of, of why they were self-isolating. But yeah, they can't can't leave the house. I'm not sure for how long. Uh, sounds like it's probably going to be a while. It might be the, the kind of recommended 12 weeks. Yeah, yeah. If it's an online thing, that's that's the thing people have been said, isn't it? But So how how is that all coordinated? Is that like through, I don't know, how, how, how do you get the food? Is that packaged up by someone? Do you have to go to the shops? Uh, so there's a there's a um, community pay what you feel cafe um, in Hyde Park called Rainbow Junction, 
which I hadn't actually been to before. I've only lived in Leeds since um, October. Uh, and though I do love Hyde Park uh, for many reasons, I haven't explored all of its wonderful places yet. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're putting together food parcels. Uh, and yeah, I'll just go there, pick it up. I, I think I'll get a badge at some point um, when I go there as well to verify I am who I say I am. Um, and then just, just go and take it to them, ring on the doorbell, leave it on the doorstep. And uh, it was quite funny. Uh, when I gave um, this guy, I won't say his name, I was just about to say it, uh, probably not appropriate. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, yeah, so I, uh, I can come and leave it on your doorstep. And he was like, oh, yeah, ring the bell as well so I know it's there. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, I'll, I'll wait for you to come and get it, <laughs> like, at a safe distance. I, I won't just leave it there and uh, hope hope you find it. <laughs> Uh, bless him. Uh, so yeah, um, I think it's partially been put together by voluntary action leads who kind of coordinate most of the volunteering that happens in the city in different organisations. Um, yeah, so it's not what you be doing for the NHS just yet. No, yeah, I haven't done anything for that. I don't know if you know how the app works, or I guess I can say it's like you, 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 you get it up on your phone, you put in all your details, you put a photo of yourself, and then you can put yourself as on duty or off duty and then if you get if, if someone is in need um i'm not sure how it works on the other end i don't know if somebody else gets um their own app version of it um but basically a siren goes off on your phone and um i simulated a call before and it is blaring <laughs> oh, wow. so, so it's it's definitely you can make it go off when it's on silent as well so i guess you know you could have it on during the night and it would wake you up which is probably maybe one of the more crucial times to have it on so that's uh, it, yeah i think it's more getting people prescriptions um yeah some some people sign up to like give isolating people a call or yeah if they need anything like that i also saw on some of the guidance that um you, you might be asked to come and do hospital admin <laughs> or like go to hospitals and support um people there so I, it's going to be interesting to see how reliant hospitals are on the volunteers. You know? I'm quite curious to see how about that. It's going to be interesting to see wh when, if and when doctors and nurses start to get ill, um, uh, how much the, the volunteers are relied on for, for that support. Obviously, they're not trained in the same way, but um, to do kind of smaller tasks and... I don't know. I don't know how much a volunteer is allowed to do. I mean, they're, they're kind of bending the rules to bring retired people in and uh, graduating medical students early. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing about that because there must be some sort of fast track. Because I think, you know, if you, you can't just, if you are a retired nurse or doctor, it's not like you can just walk back into a hospital. You need to be re-registered and, and there's steps to go through for that. I don't know if they've waived some of that or they've fast-tracked it or whatever, but um, yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to know how that works. I was chatting to um, uh, a pal of mine whose wife is a, is a doctor um, in Obstantine. Um So she's not been redeployed yet, but they were saying she's sort of like fourth in line type, type of thing. So they've got sort of a, right. right, these these people get redeployed, which puts you guys on, the, on call. And then there's a sort of a secondary, less important version of on call. And then, so yeah, it seems quite well coordinated and yeah, relatively. Yeah, I, I was on another podcast I, I heard. Now, I don't know if this is because... So these were some med medical students, um, and they'd signed up to do some volunteering 
but um, they said they'd signed up to volunteer, and they were um, volunteer uh, responding to 111 and 999 calls. And <laughs> I mean, really, uh, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if that's because, as I say, they were medical students, or if other volunteers might be expected to do that as well. But that was fairly. I mean, they've been trained for it, but um, yeah, yeah, that seemed like quite a. I mean, there could be some quite scary stuff on that, really. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I mean, you know, there's if it's a case of national emergency, you know, there's when people. Everybody keeps comparing this to world wars and things, you know, which had many young people enlisted to do things that they weren't even semi-trained for. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably, I think people becoming doctors on the job, uh, swapping a you know, rifle for a scalpel while uh, doing that kind of thing. I'm not saying this is nearly that bad. Um, well, you know, touch wood, uh, <laughs> that it doesn't get to 1945 levels. I mean, no, I know what you're saying. But it's, you know, it's nothing like that I've seen in my lifetime, and I was talking to my granny, and she was like, I was like, have you ever seen anything like this? And she said, no, I don't think anything. And, you know, she's in her late 70s. Um, I, uh, I had a similar conversation with my granny. Uh, and she said, yeah, uh, even when it was rationing and it was a war, you could still go to the cinema and things. So I was like, yeah, I suppose you could. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The cinema was one of the um, kind of comforts of uh, that time and, you know, a lot of great cinema came out then as well. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, we're obviously lucky to have so many good streaming and online services available. Your listeners may be familiar with my name from uh, your episode where you talked about watching Phantom Thread. It was I who organised the Netflix party to watch it. Um, but I, 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 um, I fully respect Jack's opinions on films. Um and enjoy reading them. Uh, in fact, we used to write for the same website uh, and worked on some some stuff there. And yeah, uh, <laughs> but I I, could, I I I have a much stronger feeling for Phantom Thread. So yeah, this is your this is your right to reply and yeah, well, giving your uh, your feedback well, on the film. It's just my two cents. I mean, I saw it before. I saw it when it came out at the cinema, and I kind of fell in love with it and. A, a little bit like you, not in the same way, but I really love films that put kind of a twist, a little like weird, in this case, kinky twist on kind of an established genre. And what Phantom Thread is, is it's to me, it's like a deeply romantic, deeply funny film about two people who in normal circumstances, should not be anywhere near each other. Um, and they manage to essentially, like, battle each other into a workable relationship. It's kind of like... And it's I, I really love screwball comedies from the 1930s, and I think it's got a bit of that spirit to it. I think its sense of humour is a lot more kind of wicked and dark. Um, but I it's still find it hilarious, um, just, you know, from the very moment that Daniel Day-Lewis delivers his breakfast order and finishes with, and I'd like some sausages. Uh, it's just, like, perverse uh, in the best way, and so uh, there's some elements of, like, sadomasochism, because by the end, 
the, you know, the spoilers here, but when the mushrooms are applied for the second time, they both know what's going on. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't put a stop to it because they've both essentially figured out what they need to keep their spark alive. And in this case, it's poison almost to the point of death, which is, you know, not a... <laughs> not a role model for any relationship but it's a film it's a it's a fantasy and it's uh it's i think it's really thrilling to see those two actors and characters like embodying this unique relationship um and it, you know the fact that the 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 cinematography and the costumes and the and the score is so are also sumptuous and so perfect that like what's at the core of it it's like a bright shiny green apple and at the core is this worm who's just digging its way through it um so i i kind of like the perversity of it uh that's that's my thesis uh that's why i love it but i fully i fully understand why it wasn't everyone's cup of tea (laughs) So um, I I did a little bit, a very little bit of reading around it after we watched it. Just um, uh, yeah, just to just to well, I don't know, see what I'd missed, I guess. Um, and I, I I think I I did get everything that was on there. Uh, but well, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was just you know uh, seeing what people's interpretation of it was. And I think I I mean I can't remember who it was, so I'm not I'm not. Um, providing credit here unfortunately but i had i had seen it sort of compared to like a grim's fairy tale um sort of a i don't know like a modern unpleasant fairy tale kind of vibe i mean you just mentioned about the fantasy element there would uh, uh, do you have any response to that mark no i think that's interesting it's not something I <laughs> sorry that was labored no it's all right um that's that's something i hadn't considered before but yeah although it is certainly depicting a very specific period in time in the 1950s it also feels separate from it because those two characters are not really in the world they're of it but they're not in it they exist in these these sequestered worlds that they've created for themselves and there are different rules there like there are different rules in in those kinds of fairy tales you know where people have to uh, you know marry princesses so they can turn back from being a hedgehog or <laughs> things like that um so yeah that kind of twisted romantic logic um i wonder if that's yeah one of the things that's so appealing and unique about it it's interesting you mentioned like the um the very specific time period that it's set in and i mean i'm not speaking from any real um historical knowledge or anything but it does seem to me quite important that it is set in that period in the early 50s is it um yeah i think so yeah because i mean it, it seems to be sort of on the cusp of uh, you know what we would stereotypically view as sort of wartime pre-war victorian time sort of repression and everything seems to be on the cusp of sort of a bit the di- that dynamic kind of plays out between the two characters uh, particularly the bit where it's the new year's eve party and it's all fairly uh it's a fairly swinging party and it's obviously sort of the antithesis of what um what your man wants to be part of. So I, I, I wondered if that was a, you know, that pre '60s stuff, but post war thing. It's a kind of a, I don't know. I don't know if I've particularly seen a lot or read a lot of fiction or in that set in that sort of time period. But I did, I did find that kind of interesting. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that party, you know, is quite so bombastic and it's like, it's a, it's an unshowy, showy shot. Like, you know, you see everything happening in the background, all the, the ribbons falling and people dancing. There must be like at least a thousand extras in that shot. But it's more concerned with Daniel Day-Lewis walking through it to find the one person he's there for. Um, which is in its way deeply romantic, even though his intentions are to control that person, <laughs> uh, the way it's represented. But yeah, it's that is the kind of scene where you'd see the kind of uh, British film that was made in the 1950s. I'm trying to remember the, the filmmaking duo. Powell and Pressburg. Yeah, it feels like it could be something from one of their films, except the main character would be right in the middle of that party going, jolly good, we've fought those blackguards out there, and, uh, well, now I get to party with all my chums and the woman I've saved, ah, I love you all. Um, but it's, yeah, sort of turning that on its head. Um, that's my tough accent for your listeners. Uh, it was good. I really liked <laughs> it. You could get a lot of voiceover work with that. Uh, Great. Well, probably maybe that's... need a tough voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they're getting a lot of work at the moment. I don't know if you wanted to... Uh, you, you have seen more films than anyone I know. Uh, probably <laughs> more people than I know put together. Um, but in terms of Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, where would you put Phantom Fred in his canon of work? Is it, is it if, I don't know, is it where to start? Is, is it, would you consider it his finest film? Or do you prefer his other stuff? Um, it's interesting. I tend to struggle with doing rankings of filmmakers I like because I find you know if there's something I really love about a film I'll go back and I'll see it in a different light if it's been a few years and you know things will change around I would say it's kind of hard to go wrong <laughs> I'll be honest um sure he's doing he he tries to do something different I mean if you like it, I I would say maybe don't start with his latest stuff if you don't know anything uh, about his work. Maybe start with Boogie Nights um, because that's maybe pound for pound the most entertaining quote unquote uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film. Which if if people don't know it, it's uh, sort of a potted history of the seventies and eighties porn industry in the San Fernando Valley in California through the eyes of. Um, a Mark Wahlberg character who has a gigantic penis and uh, an ego to match. Um, but it's like, that sounds cynical, but it's a really loving, funny and sweet and at times very sad uh, portrait of, of, again, a specific time and place. He seems actually to be very focused on on creating these, these moments set in time. Um, I wouldn't start, I think, for for anywhere else. You, you can you can go from there wherever you want to. I love Magnolia, but it is a three-hour ensemble film uh, interconnecting stories. Um, if people like Robert Altman films, who if they don't know Paul Thomas Anderson, they're probably not likely to know Robert Altman, but he, he took a lot of influence from him earlier on. Um, so if you do like those kinds of things, um, then Magnolia is, is, is phenomenal and probably has the best Tom Cruise performance um, in his career. And if you don't like Tom Cruise, it's it's the Tom Cruise film that you will like. <laughs> uh, I would say the only film not to start with is Inherent Vice, because I love it, and it's very hard to figure out what's going on. 
in a lot of it. I mean, it's based on a Thomas Pynchon novel, so that might say it all. Um, labyrinthine, but also, yeah, exquisitely put together. Can I... Um, I, I, I want to ask you one more question about Paul Thomas Anderson in a second. But okay. just on Tom Cruise, like, I know, well, a lot of people don't like him, and that's largely because of his personal life or you know what we know of his personal life and obviously his uh, his religious beliefs and things but if we just focus on his his body of work as a as a film actor mm-hmm. i am i mad to think that he actually has generally speaking he picks really good projects uh yeah i think i think you're right yeah i think you know he he seems he I think he's very savvy and he's usually a producer on the projects he acts in and he's really full on anyone who saw him I think it was last year being interviewed on the Graham Norton show will know that he like broke his ankle while filming a shot on the latest Mission Impossible movie and finished the shot like carried on so he's very dedicated so I find it hard to believe he would work on something that he wasn't really that invested in uh so yeah, I, I I think yeah, Mission Impossible, those films, especially the last uh, couple, I think have, have demonstrated exactly why he is so good. Because I think he does have limitations as an actor in ways that, that other actors, you know, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis. He can't, he's always going to be Tom Cruise in a certain way, but it's, it's he's got that kind of uh, shit-eating charm and uh, persistence. Um, that like I'm just like yeah I I this is the guy I want to see like throw himself out of an airplane and you know land on his feet. He's well aware of his limitations, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. You know, like plenty of actors are like that. Like Michael Sarah is uh, is an actor with limitations, but I enjoy you know what he does. Uh, if people can find their niche and fit into it, that's better than you know trying to be a square peg in a round hole. Absolutely. Okay, so my last question on Paul Thomas Anderson was, <laughs> was um, and I don't know why this is specifically turned into a, an interview with you on Paul Thomas Anderson, because you've never purported to be <laughs> anything or a, an expert or anything, but I don't know, this is where I've gone with it, I'm sorry. Yeah, his, his oeuvre of films, they sort of, they hop across different genres and, and, and things like that, um, and he's he's got involved with a lot of different stuff. Are there any unifying uh, themes or signature things that... that you know what's the what is the through line through Paul Thomas Anderson films? What 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 is it that you could, without knowing who it was by, say, oh, this must be by Paul Paul there, Paul Thomas, if there is anything. <laughs> I would kind of say that there isn't a standard through line. I would say you could probably cut his his film career in two halves, and say there's a first half where he's he he's he's interested in the kind of lower tier characters, people down on their luck. And he's taking a lot of influences from older filmmakers, Scorsese and Altman, like I was saying before, and doing these kind of very genre heavy stories. And then from, I think like punch drunk love onwards, he's very focused on these, these, these kind of almost myopic character dramas that some of them are very sweeping, you know, in a sense that, you know, There Will Be Blood is about a lot more than just one man digging for oil. But it's about, yeah, singularly focused individuals or unique in some way, you know, which is 
Which is quite broad, because if you're making a film, you kind of want your character to, to be unique and singularly focused on something. Um, but I think, I think actually what he's really good at and why he's successful, and I enjoy his films, and I always want to go out and see them, is because he kind of creates a whole new world um, every single time. And you go, I'm not really sure what to expect here. I know it won't be like other films that are out right now. And from interviews I've read and heard, I, I get the sense that that's, that's kind of what he wants to achieve. He doesn't really want to be exploring the same things over and over again. He wants to explore new ideas and, and use the, the cinematic form to its fullest, uh, which I think is great. Cool. I was just, uh, I was just on his Wikipedia page because I just wanted to check check a fact which uh, became irrelevant. But um, apparently uh, he is uh, has been in a relationship with Maya Rudolph for since 2001. I had no idea. Yes, yeah, correct. Very, very happily married, I believe. Which is great because Maya Rudolph is great. Married, maybe not. But yes, they are both great. Yeah, it doesn't say married. I think, I think it specifically doesn't say that. You know, in case you were interested. <laughs> anyway, no, no, I was. Yeah, I, I, I would like the facts to be correct. Yeah, corrected on air if possible. It says they have four children, so that's great. I'm really glad for them. Um, Mark, uh, are you going to do another um, um, uh, Netflix party? Because uh, yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago now. Yes, I would like to. I um, I mean, yeah, as I say, I'm working, and there's, there's, as I'm sure you understand, there's lots of different kind of social plates to spin <laughs> for some people more than there were before and I've got another group that I'm part of which is which is organizing a film viewing uh, party like every Sunday so I'm trying to figure out the timings for that but yes if if, if you would like to watch another one then I'll, I'll make it a priority um, I was kind of a bit dubious about like if you know people are going to be firing off messages every like every other minute. I was thinking this is I'm not really going to be focusing on the film here, but uh, I've uh, you know the, uh, of the uh, people that you invited that yeah the conversation was intermittent and no I liked it it was it was quite nice and it did feel like watching a film of a group of people because I mean that's what it was so yeah <laughs> which is exactly. nice. that's, that's the that's what I really like you know it's, I'm you know if I'm in the cinema then if I come with people I'd be like you need to turn your phone off, put it away, and not talk to me during this whole thing. We're allowed to exchange yes, a plan and maybe a couple of laughs um, mm. if something ridiculous happens. But, you know, if I'm watching a film with some friends on a couch, then, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. If the film's ridiculous, we'll talk about how ridiculous it is. We'll have a good time. Um, I, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the ways I really like to enjoy movies. Cool. I, sorry, the audio's been in and out a bit, so I, I assume you've finished what you're for. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there might be quite a bit of edit on this, <laughs> but yeah, if you've got your side of the record, record recording, I've got mine. We'll work it out. But that's fine. Um, um, cool, man. All right. Well, no, Jack. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna wrap it up there. So thank you for chatting, and I will. Uh, I look forward to watching another film with you soon. Cheers, Mark. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Jack. Talk to you later. <laughs>